Romans chapter 9. Who is Paul writing to in Romans chapter 9? And what is he writing about? Most pastors and teachers will tell you Paul is writing to and about Christians. But is that true? Let's let the Apostle Paul answer that question. Greetings, I'm Dr. Paul Felter. Welcome to this video podcast where we expose church fallacies and flawed Christian traditions with Bible truth. We let the Bible speak for itself. Now let's get right into the text to answer the question of who is Paul writing to and what is chapter 9 about? Beginning with verses 1 through 5. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. Paul expresses a great heaviness and continual sorrow of heart for those he calls his brethren. These brethren are also his kinsmen. That would immediately leave out Gentiles, as Paul was a Jew. Paul then identifies exactly to whom this sadness of heart applies, his fellow Israelites. Paul is writing about his fellow kinsmen, the Jews. Also, remember from chapter 1, that Paul is writing to Jews and proselytes in Rome that believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah of Israel. Little flock believers, as he had yet to visit Rome and preach the gospel of grace. At the time of Paul's writing, there were no body of Christ members in Rome, only little flock believers. If you are not familiar with this fact, please watch video on Romans chapter 1. Paul continues to further identify the subject group of chapter 9 as those receiving the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. This could only be Israel, as they alone received the covenant of Abraham, the law of Moses, and the promises of the fathers. Just in case there is any remaining doubt of the subject group, Paul adds that from this group, Jesus Christ came. Jesus was a Jew of the tribe of Judah. The subject group of chapter 9 is Israelites, period. Paul is writing to little flock Jews and proselytes about Israel. You must understand this or you will be confused about chapters 9 through 11, verses 6 and 7. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Even though Israel rejected and crucified their Messiah, Jesus Christ, it is not as though the word of God had taken no effect on the Israelites. It certainly did, as many even thousands believed in their Messiah Jesus. Many believed and followed during the ministry of Jesus. 
Many more believed, as recorded in Acts chapter 1 through 7. Thousands believed in Jesus as the Messiah at Pentecost alone. Even a large number of the priests believed, Acts 6 verse 7. Paul defines the seed of Abraham as of the lineage of Isaac only. Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered the twelve tribes of Israel. Verses 8 and 9. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. Abraham's children of the flesh refers to Ishmael and his descendants, the Arabs. God declares that they are not his children, as they are not of the promise made to Sarah that she would have a son. Ishmael was Abraham's son by Hagar, the handmaiden of Sarah. Isaac was Sarah's miracle son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise, and only through him would the true seed of Abraham come. Verses 10 through 13. And not only this, but when Rebekah had also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated. This is a troubling verse for some Christians. They question why God would favor Jacob and reject Esau, even before they were born. God could see the entire lives of Jacob and Esau prior to their birth. Jacob likely would fulfill God's purpose better than Esau. Esau was a wild man living off the land, an untamed hunter, an independent sort of fellow. Jacob was a mommy's boy, a deceiver, easily manipulated by his own family members, Rebecca and Laban. God would have no problem using Jacob to fulfill his divine pleasure. God chose Jacob by election, which simply means to choose. God chose Jacob over Esau. Jacob did not earn God's favor nor deserve it. God simply chose Jacob because Jacob would better fit God's purpose. Verses 14 through 16. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Paul asks the question, Is God unrighteous because he chose Jacob and rejected Esau even before they were born? Was Esau doomed to failure because God hated him? No, Esau was doomed to failure because of his character, which God foresaw. But since God is the creator of all things and has power over all things, he does not owe us an explanation for why he shows mercy to some and not to others. As far as election is concerned, that does not come by a decision of a person's will. It does not come by the person doing good. It comes by God choosing to show mercy on that person, irrespective of that person's actions or character. 
If you appreciate the video podcast, please consider subscribing to my YouTube channel or my podcast channel, both named Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. Also, please visit my website, breadoflife.media, for additional resources, including my free PDF chart of your Bible, Rightly Divided. Verses 17 and 18. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Paul then illustrates God's power using Pharaoh at the time of the exodus from Egypt in the 14th century B.C. God hardened Pharaoh's heart and mind against Israel. Pharaoh refused to set the Jews free even after many catastrophic plagues brought by God through Moses. God revealed his mighty power by breaking Pharaoh to the point of submission, thereby releasing Israel from bondage. God hardened Pharaoh but had mercy on Israel, his chosen people. Verses 19 through 21. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Because God rejected Esau and hardened Pharaoh, can we find fault with God? Certainly not. Who are we that we could accuse God? Since God created man, cannot God do what he desires with mankind? God is not at our disposal. We are at his. We are the lump of clay on the potter's wheel. God can make of man whatever he needs to bring glory to himself and to fulfill his plans. God makes vessels, people, of dishonor like Pharaoh and Esau that contrast his mercy and goodness. The contrast always enhances the appreciation and awareness of God's mercy and grace. Esau and Pharaoh are the contrast, vessels of dishonor. Jacob and Israel are the recipients of God's mercy and compassion, vessels of honor. Verses 20 through to 24. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Paul continues contrasting the vessels of wrath with the vessels of mercy. By seeing the attitudes and actions of the vessels of wrath, one can appreciate being a vessel of mercy. We, like God, endure the vessels of wrath. We see them every day on the mainstream propaganda media. But their day of destruction is coming. The vessels of mercy will win the day being destined for glory. Then Paul makes a rather startling statement. The vessels of glory that God will call are not only of the Jews, but of the Gentiles also. For 1,500 years, the Jews were God's chosen people. Gentiles were dogs and outcasts. The only way a Gentile could be saved 
was to convert to Judaism and keep the law of Moses. But that paradigm was changing. Gentiles, through the gospel of grace preached by the Apostle Paul, could be saved without converting to Judaism by simple faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is slowly and carefully introducing this change to the little flock believers at Rome. Verses 25 and 26. As he saith also in O.C., I will call them my people, which are not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass, that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Paul is using this verse from Hosea chapter 1 verse 9 in a broad sense to include Gentiles, which were not God's people, and Jews combined into a believing remnant, as Isaiah states in the following verse. Verses 27 and 28. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. A remnant of Israel, and now Gentiles also, will be saved by the Lord as his eternal plan of salvation marches forward. For the remnant's sake, the human experiment will be cut short. God's work on earth will be 7,000 years, or seven days, by God's timing, as a day is a thousand years with the Lord. 2 Peter 3, eight. Verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been like unto Gomorrah. The Lord has always protected a remnant and had a seed in the earth. If mankind were to some day be without a seed from God, we would be nothing but fodder for the fires of hell, barely worth destroying. Verses 30 and 31. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness? Paul is asking a very important question. Have unrighteous Gentiles somehow attained righteousness before God, while his people Israel have failed in that quest? To a Jew, that would be utterly impossible. But Paul responds to his own question in an affirmative way. Verses 32 and 33. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Paul states that Israel did not attain the righteousness of God because they sought it by trying to keep the works of the law. They thought that by habitual routine in doing the things of the law, they could please God. They had faith in their own efforts to keep the commandments like robots programmed to do a specific thing at a certain time. They were lacking in simple faith in God. The proper attitude should have been faith in God plus works of the law. 
But since they had no faith in God, just the mechanical activities of the law, they could not show any faith in Jesus their Messiah when he presented himself as Messiah. That was their stumbling stone. And their rock of offense was the crucifixion of Jesus, their Messiah. But those who saw the light and believed will not be ashamed when they stand before the Lord in judgment. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1, 23. Let me summarize Romans chapter 9. Paul is speaking to Jews and proselytes in Rome that follow Jesus as Messiah to Israel. They consider themselves under the law of Moses, as all Jews at that time would. Paul begins to tell these believers about what happened to Israel with respect to Jesus, their Messiah. Paul will continue this subject through chapters 10 and 11. Remember, Paul is not speaking to Christians, as Paul had not yet visited Rome to preach the gospel of grace. Now, an integral part of understanding your Bible is to see God's timeline from Genesis to Revelation in chart format. I have two such works available in print and PDF. First is my free, Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth chart in landscape format. This chart displays God's timeline from Genesis to Revelation. It alone is a tremendous help in understanding the Bible and can easily be downloaded from my website. Second, a letter-sized booklet named The Master Key to Understanding the Bible. This 44-page guide is full-color and professionally printed through Lightning Source. It has 13 large full-color charts displaying the right division concept in great detail. The guide covers the same material as the podcast and is a must-have companion for the serious student of the Bible. The Master Key is also available in audiobook format on Amazon Audible. Both are available on my website, breadoflife.media. Well, that concludes our discussion on Romans chapter 9. If you have enjoyed the video podcast, then please like this video and subscribe to my YouTube channel and my podcast channel, both named Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. Thanks for joining me today. See you next time in Romans 10. God bless.